Welcome to the Board Game Workshop. I'm your host, Chris Anderson, and this is our first episode of the new year and our first contributor episode. So this will work a little differently than past episodes. I have a couple of contributors. Each of them recorded their own segment. So this is more of a bunch of little pieces put together to make an episode. In this episode, we have Brendan Saltis with his segment, Including All Meeples. He'll give us an introduction to that. We have Bez, who will tell us how games are like a pair of legs. And Tom Greganis of Go Forth and Game introduces us to his segment. Also, I will answer some questions. Just a reminder, there's still time to send questions in to be entered to win a copy of Roll for the Galaxy. You can send questions to questions at theboardgameworkshop.com. Get those in by January 17th to be entered to win. And also, we still have room for some more contributors. So if you're interested in talking about game design and want to submit a segment, you can email chris at theboardgameworkshop.com and let me know what you'd like to do a segment about and we can see if we can get something worked out. Four questions. Emma Larkin asks, how do you continually get motivated to work on designing board games in the long run? Um, I've been designing games for about three years now and generally it's listening to podcasts that gets me motivated. I have a long commute. I drive about three hours every day and I listen to board game design and general board game podcasts almost the entire time and just hearing people talk about board games whether it's design or just published games and plays they enjoyed just hearing about that just gets my mind moving in game design directions um gives me a lot of ideas ideas of how to improve my current designs lots of ideas for new games also going to playtest meetups just talking to other designers about their designs anytime i'm designing it really gets me in the mood to keep designing but if i ever am on vacation so i'm not commuting and i stop listening to podcasts i'm not going to design meetups i stop thinking about game design i'll go like a whole week off and i don't think about a game design at all so as long as as long as i'm in the mood to design I keep designing, but if I ever take a break, I just stop thinking about game design for a while, which it's good to take a break every once in a while, but I just listen to some podcasts and I'm right back there and my brain is spinning again. CM Perry asks, can take that be used as a catch-up mechanic? And if so, how would you do it? Um, I think it can be, but my worry about take that in general is if you have take that mechanics be too unrestricted, and all players can continually beat down their opponents to stop them from winning. The game can drag out for a long time. So you definitely want to have some limits to how much the take that can work. Because um, with take that, you're generally, you're not catching up to the leader. You're pulling the leader back to you. So you're usually slowing down the end game. So while I think it can be used as a catch-up mechanic to close the gap, it's most likely going to delay the end game and not necessarily get the person in last base closer to winning, but give them more time to catch up. So they would still need another mechanic to actually catch up to winning, even though the leader would be pulled back. So I think it could be an element of a catch-up mechanic, but you probably need something else with it to really get the game to still move towards a conclusion. And Alex Uboldi asks, how much design do you do for first time play experiences? For example, having, if this is your first time playing, use these training wheels. Do you think all games should have a feature like this or is it even needed at all? Personally, I have never 
designed with a first-time play in mind. My goal for most of my designs is to keep them elegant, which to me means easy to understand rules that could possibly be combined for a lot of game complexity, but not a lot of rules complexity. So my goal is usually to make sure that the first play is easy and smooth without having to restrict or change the rules. Also, I try to have very simple setups. So um, the game would be put down the board, shuffle this deck of cards, give everyone a player piece, you're ready to go. Personally, I don't like games that have a lot of setup time because that's time you're not playing. Even if a game has a lot to it, I would prefer that the setup be very quick. And then as the game progresses, um, a lot of the other pieces come into play as part of the game. So you don't have to spend 20 minutes setting things up initially. Personally, I don't like to use them, but I can definitely see how they're useful in a bigger, more complex game. Another way of setting it up, I think, which I think I prefer, is instead of having a regular game and cutting it back to a learning game, is to have the base game and then have additional expansions or modules that you can add in after the fact. But it depends on the balance of what is what is the game you want to make. And then do you pull it back to have a training game or expand it to give more options once players are comfortable with the base game? As far as do I think all games should have a feature like this? I think all games should have very clear rules that can let you set up and start playing. Um, I think an interesting way to do it, depending on your game structure, you could have the first round of the game be more introductory. Although if this is a part of the game every time, it could get boring to more experienced players. But if you structure it so that the beginning of the game has limited choices and would let new players build up and learn the mechanics as they go, and then later in that game, it is more advanced and more interesting as your options grow. That way, new players could learn alongside experienced players in the beginning rounds, and then once they're in the later rounds and have a better grasp of the mechanics, they'd be able to do more advanced things. Personally, I would like that better than having a separate training game. That's essentially a section of the rule book that you're only going to use once and never look at again. And it kind of gets in the way. Feels like a lot of extra stuff from a production standpoint. And there's always the chance that players will either skip the introductory game and go right to the main game, which might be too complicated and they could have a bad play experience because they skipped over the training game and you designed it with the training game in mind. Or players could just play the training game, which does not offer everything the full game offers, and they could have a bad play experience because of that. So they don't ever give it a second play and try the rest of it. So that does it for questions. Let's move on to the contributors. Welcome to the first segment of Including All Meeples. I'm Brandon Soltis. This segment will focus on designing games with inclusion in mind and how we can effectively expand the hobby we all love together. Most of the conversation about inclusion in board gaming is either about gamers themselves or pertains to the publishing company. There is ample dialogue about theme, artwork, representation, as well as inclusive gaming groups and welcoming convention environments. 
There is little content or discussion, in my opinion, about what designers can do to help include more people in board gaming. I think this is a result of the dominant conversation topics because they seem out of the designer's control. The conversations I do hear regarding designers are most often about colorblindness accessibility. There are many great resources about accessible color schemes, the use of symbols, and graphic design techniques. But even this conversation could pertain less to the designer and more to the graphic designer or publisher of the game. Unless the designer is self-publishing and has control over every aspect, I often wonder, what can designers do? And I've been thinking over the past couple years, and I think there are many avenues designers can pursue for inclusion. I hope in this segment, we can explore the many different aspects of design that I think can impact this hobby and create more accessible pathways in. Some of the topics I will be covering are physical accessibility. Now this uh, includes colorblindness accessibility, of course, but I also want to dive into other dimensions of physical accessibility, such as dexterity um, or ease of mobility, uh, component size, that, that sort of thing. Uh, so back to the list of things I'm covering, um, style of game, price point, component quality, playtesting methods, print and play, publishing versus a traditional publishing path, theme considerations, if you have control over that, uh, contracts and contract negotiation with publishing companies, coalition building within the hobby, conventions, and possibly, I hope, I can have some special guests on so we can talk about some hot topics that are impacting the hobby. I appreciate all of you joining me in this journey to make board gaming more inclusive and accessible. I always enjoy a good conversation about these topics, so please reach out to chat. You can find me on my blog at gamingforjustice.com or on Twitter at underscore gamingforjustice. That's underscore the symbol gaming, the number four, justice. Until next time on Including All Meeples, happy designing and happy gaming. Hello, I am Bez, and I would like to talk to you about how games are exactly like a pair of legs. There are so many components. You've got the blood, the skin, the bone, the muscle, the tendons, the primary mechanisms, secondary mechanisms, illustrations. Everything needs to be woven together really tightly, literally touching, fused so close that to remove any part would destroy the gate. I mean, legs. Of course, some of it might not be essential. I mean, you can shave your hairs off or wax them or whatever, and that's fine. And some supporting mechanisms might be there that aren't really vital to the core of the game. But you've got to work out what is the core. And sometimes you shouldn't be focusing on the details and be you know, cleaning yourself off when there's more fundamental structural work to be done. Everything needs to serve a purpose. You've got your bones as the base, 
the muscles contracting to keep it moving and the tendons to connect the muscles to the bones. Every mechanism needs to be connected to every other in, a, in some way, whether that's by virtue of a currency or a shared resource or some things need to overlap. They need to be fused. And just as blood carries essential nutrients and oxygen to allow other things to operate, there must be some mechanisms within your game that support the other things that maybe they're not the most glamorous, maybe they're not the sexy calves or thighs, but they make your game work and that's what is important. Of course, once it's all said and done, you need to have something to wrap it up. The skin, it goes all around, like a theme or something. And, I mean, the pair of legs, I mean, it, the game or what, it needs to be balanced. They should be equally long and equally strong. When walking, each foot travels exactly as far as the other. Each foot doesn't somehow overshadow the other. You can't have one faction that makes people ignore the other ones. And a good pair of legs, I mean, it needs a lot of work. Sometimes it'll be easy and fun. I love going out and dancing generally once I'm out, and playtesting can be lovely. I mean, just tonight I came back and I tried a new game, two of them in fact. One of them went down badly, and hey, that was a shame, but the other one, people enjoyed it, and it's so fulfilling. Such an exhilarating rush, and makes you feel good about yourself. But sometimes it'll be hard. I mean... Sometimes I don't want to go out of the house to the gym and face all the folk there. And sometimes I don't really want to try to delve so deeply into why people hate a game. It's hard work. But you've got to do it. If you want your pair of legs to improve, you've got to do what needs to be done. And it's important to have a routine, whether it's going to the gym or going and playtesting your game, it's good to get these things in the routine so that they can happen. Otherwise, they just won't. And while we're talking about it, some of the stuff might be relatively boring. I mean, you're going and maybe you should, for the best pair of legs, lift some weights or write go over your rules and proofread them. But of course, a pair of legs cannot exist on their own. A pair of legs needs the heart of the body, just as a game needs players. And it's built to support the torso, the head, the arms, just as a game should be built to support the players and their experiences. And both can be fun to play with. Tactile. You can touch and feel a variety of textures. You can dress them up in a variety of ways. 
puts on different tights, stockings, socks or trousers, theme colours, new additions. If the underlying game or pair of legs is really good, then you can, of course you can dress it up badly and make it look ugly, but if it's really good, you can keep presenting it to new ways and people will keep saying, wow, that's a damn fine gate or pair of legs and a really good game is all about the core, just like a pair of fine legs. I've been Bez, and next time I'll tell you how games are exactly like something that's not a pair of legs, but is almost exactly like a pair of legs, because that other thing is like a game, just like everything in life. Welcome to Go Forth and Game, the podcast where the people who play the games talk to the people who design the games. I'm Tom Gerganis, your host, and it's January 6, 2018, and I'm back. After quite a while hiatus, we're back to podcasting. I had to take a break due to some technical issues with uh, an old computer, uh, slow Wi-Fi, and uh, painful Skype, but we've got some of that fixed. I've got a new computer. Uh, we had some great advice from uh, friend Eric Booth on uh, using a wired connection instead of a Wi-Fi connection and we're going to try a new uh, voice over internet to go hopefully go around Skype. And the bigger news is that I've joined the uh, Indie Game Report and I'm also part of the Board Game Workshop Podcast Network. So you can catch me on Go Forth and Game and also in the Board Game Workshop. So, what's been happening? Well, as I said, we had some issues, uh, technical issues, and I just decided to, to shut things down for a while until I could get those worked out because they were affecting the sound quality of the podcast, and I just didn't like where things were going. So, hopefully, we've got all that figured out, and we'll be having some more content for you coming up soon. Uh, not to worry, we'll still be doing uh, the great uh, interviews with game designers that uh, I've liked to do a lot. That's what I'm known for, and that's what I enjoyed doing the most. But there'll be a couple of smaller segments that I'll also be doing. I'm going to do um, my big question, big answer session uh, occasionally. I'll occasionally give an update on where my game designs are, and even more rarely, probably will do a game review. I'm not a big game reviewer, but if something I play really sparks me, I will uh, do a quick review on that. And uh, the other thing is that podcasts will be shorter or at least broken into smaller pieces to fit the format for Board Game Design Workshop. I'm going to try to keep episodes to 30 minutes. So we'll just jump in, we'll get things done quickly, and we'll get back out. So let's have an update. What have I been doing lately? Well, Christmas has just passed, and I've got a couple of nice games for Christmas. I got um, a new copy of Ticket to Ride, uh, the original Ticket to Ride. Had uh, two other. I've got Ticket to Ride Europe and Nordic Countries, and 
three of the five Ticket to Ride maps. So you can see I like playing Ticket to Ride. Uh, I think it's a, a really, really good gateway game. I actually introduced it to uh, friends over the holidays, and they really enjoyed it. I uh, picked up Forbidden Island and Sushi Go Party. And a new one from Michael Schott called Smiles, which I really enjoyed. And a couple other small games that aren't remembering at the moment. But it was a good game um, Christmas. <clears throat> oh, and picked up In the Year of the Dragon from Stefan Feld, one of my favorite Felds. Uh, it was on sale at Amazon for like 18 bucks, And it just I didn't have it. I just could not buy it. So that came in. I punched that today. So I'll be coming to the table pretty soon, I hope. As far as resolutions or goals for 2018 i've set a few for uh, board games i'm going to try to reduce my um unplayed game stack from uh 62 65 down to 13 uh basically a 20 percent reduction and we'll see how that goes um we'll try to do some 10 by fives instead of the 10 by tens most people play i know I'm not going to be able to play one game 10 times. So we're, we're going to try uh, 10 by 5s and see how that goes. There's some games from 2017 that I really wished I had gotten to play that I'm going to target for 2018. Uh, Topiary, Circle of Wagons, and Barker's Row, and Tricky Tides um, from Danny Devine. All, all three, four of those um, from Danny Devine. I played prototype of circle of wagons and really enjoyed it um but didn't pick it up as it hit during my board game moratorium um as same with Bar barker's row uh, tricky ties and topiary should be coming out uh sometime this year i believe topiary actually will be in for u.s release within the next week or two um i missed the kickstarter on detective city of angels from van Ryder. i really 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 want to play this game uh, chris kirkman says uh, nothing but great things about it and it looks like it's perfect um for me i like the crime noir stuff so i really would like to um get a play or two in of that uh, I need to play the Bob Ross game. We had a game day just before uh, Christmas here, and some folks were playing that and really enjoyed it. I didn't get a chance, um, but it looks like a lot of fun. I'd like to play the new Doctor Who game, Time of the Daleks. Um, haven't played Near and Far yet. I've heard, heard a lot of good things about it this past year, and I'm seeing, seeing a little resurgence of it on Twitter, so that one intrigues me. I'd like to uh, try that one out. Again, Terraforming Mars, the juggernaut from last year. Um, Chris Norwood and my old game group, they were here for that game day, and they were just raving about it. They play it at least once a week, So, I, I, and Chris and I have seen similar taste so i know i will enjoy that there's a couple things that i'm looking to hope to play merlin the new stefan feld uh dinosaur island looks really fun uh clank in space looks like something i'll be very interested in and uh black orchestra from philip duberry i'm really sad that i w didn't hit the uh kickstarter for that one but i'm um, looking to get a play in on that also uh something else for this year that i'm putting down as a goal is to attend more than one con this year more than just uh, that board game thing 
I'd really like to do Unpub, um, if at all possible. Uh, it's not a good time of the year uh, for me, but we'll see what happens financially. Um, that one's, well, financially, any kind of con is going to be difficult, but uh, who knows, maybe maybe something will happen and we can get to a good con. If I'd like to do Origins also, if that was possible, or Dice Tower Con. Um, some of the people from... Um, any game reporter thinking about possibly getting together and doing uh, Dice Tower Con, so that would be uh, very interesting. Uh, I am going to do Whose Turn Is It um, here in a couple of weeks, here because it's here in Durham, um, as well as that board game thing in um, September. September. Yeah, September. And then I may do Mace in Charlotte um, in November. So we'll just see how things go. Um and if the money comes through, we can do that. And if the ga- and the vacation holds out, I will be on the board game design front. I'm going to be att- attempting to attend more of the game designers on North Carolina meetings. Um, I had was had a good streak going there for a while, but um, got out of that. And I really need to do that at least once a month because it's extremely helpful. Um, not only working on my own designs, but being able to see other people and see their designs and how they work through uh, their issues when they um, are going through design. Just watching other people work on their designs is actually really helpful for me with my own designs. Um, Speaking of which, I've got four ideas percolating right now. I've got three in prototype and one in waiting in the wings. Um, speaking of wings, the first one is the oldest one. It's called uh, Blind. I've spoken about it occasionally before, but it's it works as is, and it works pretty well. Um, the playtesters I've had play it have enjoyed it, and the even um, casual gamers uh, like the game. It's, it's very simple and straightforward. Um, ran it through a playtest at design meeting, uh, a couple months ago, and somebody had a suggestion for the uh, scoring that made complete and perfect sense and fit into the theme of the game beautifully because it's the um, using the point systems that they used to use for duck hunting. It's a duck hunting game, by the way, um, that used, they used to use for the duck hunting system um, for actually hunting ducks it was um number of ducks you could kill was based on the points and each duck being worth a certain number of points in that particular setup so i'm gonna go back and see if i can work that in um i'm working on an issue with uh, uh, dumping your hand as a bid um as it stands that is an option every single turn, and that could be a problem. Uh, so uh, we had a suggestion on how to fix that from <sighs> Stephen Aramini, I think. So we're working on that one. Uh, Twist Traps is humming along really nicely. Um, I'm just checking on a couple of things on what, whether to keep the drafting in or go back to just a simple deal for the exhibits. Um, and if I do keep the drafting in, either do it up a pick and pass or the current draft matrix that I've got. I just need to run that over uh, in front of some people and see what they like best. And then that one's going to be ready to go out for uh, some blind t- play testing, I think. Hopefully by, actually, hopefully by Unpub 
if not sooner. Paparazzi's going pretty well. I got a solo play test in uh, earlier this week. It's actually sitting on the table here in front of me. Uh, I need to get some other eyes on it, so that's going to the next design meeting that I'm able to attend. And it's a, a hidden movement game where you're you're playing both paparazzi and uh, celebrities. The celebrities are trying to get to certain destinations and the paparazzi are trying to catch them and get a picture of them either on their way or at the destination and you score points based on, on those two goals. I really am liking the game. I don't know if it's any uh, super amount of fun yet or not, but it works um, pretty well in uh, solo play testing. So I really just need to get in front of some people and and see how it, it goes with that. And the last one that's not in prototype yet is called the Great American Yard Sale. And that one I need to work on a little bit more. I need to I can build some cards for that and see how things go with it. But it's a cool idea and I'll talk about it more on a later, uh, later game or later show. So that's pretty much where things are right now. Just to let you know um, that I am back. Uh, the podcast is moving forward. I really enjoy the podcast. I missed it terribly uh, when I was not doing it because I like talking to people and I like making those connections. And uh, this is, the community out there is fantastic, as you probably know by now. Um, so there'll be more. Uh, and in fact, I've got uh, Jason Tagmeyer from Button Shy Games on tap uh, for interview next week. I'm not talking talked to Jason before, so is or haven't interviewed uh, Jason before, or at least in a very long time. So that'll be fun. Uh, and I've also got Danny Devine. Uh, we're going to talk about topiary and tricky tides and see what he else he's up to. So uh, tune in later. Uh, we're going to have a slightly new uh, theme song. I'm hoping and intro for the podcast and again we'll be uh putting out on uh, itunes and also through the uh board game workshop i want to thank chris anderson for inviting me to uh, join with them that's going to be a lot of fun hopefully get some new uh, ears listening in so if you'd like to talk to me you can catch me on twitter um my handle is at tom gerg g-u-r-g or you can email me uh tom gerg at gmail.com or go forth in game at gmail.com and of course you can see me and comment over on the website go forth i'd like to hear from you i really like interacting with uh gamers so please uh give me a call or uh, shoot me a tweet give me an email just let me know you're listening or if you have a question if you got questions for the big uh the big question section coming up that would be fantastic i'm gathering questions as i go and we'll hit those and get some designers and gamers to answer those so anyways uh i guess it's about time to sign off we're at fifth right at 15 minutes and I'm trying to keep things as short as I can. So I will um, see you next time on Go Forth in Game. Thanks. That does it for this episode. 
You can follow the show on Twitter at the BG Workshop. You can get the show notes at theboardgameworkshop.com. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash theboardgameworkshop. And you can join the Board Game Workshop Facebook group and talk about the show. You can follow me on Twitter at BlueCubeBGS. And you can check out my blog at bluecubeboardgames.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.